did the sermon uh, Beautiful Harmony Part 1. And uh, maybe you didn't know that that was Part 1 at the time. And, uh, but here we go. I want to review Beautiful Harmony uh, Part 1. Maybe you could call that, uh, I've got a picture of a keyboard up there. And there were uh, uh, 88 keys and 7 octaves. And we said ultimately that's kind of a reflection of what the church is. And that there are individual keys. Maybe you remember that we had uh, Laura kind of play a song up here, this little light of mine. She just was striking uh, one key there, and we were trying to figure that out, but it was better when they were chords, right? And when we were talking about keys, uh, we kind of uh, did a little bit of audience participation, and we discovered that there are some individuals here, and we said, uh, who has attended the church the longest? And uh, Reverend Pat Ricketts, 93 years old, been around here for a long time, and uh, well, we kind of interviewed her just a little bit, and uh, who traveled the farthest, and Wayne and Kathy Lowe's had traveled 16.5 miles, do you remember? Do you remember that? And uh, maybe you remember that uh, there was a family here back in the 80s that had a bunch of kids here, the Reed family, and they were around, and some of you recall who they were. That was individual keys. We talked about chords. Chords are a group of keys, and it's better when the chords come together. And, and we said, uh, how did you start coming to church? And, uh, not an individual key came by themselves, but it was a, a result of some other people, one family inviting another family to come to church. And so this group of keys, this chords, kind of asked those chords and kind of began to talk about the way that the church is supposed to be, what's the largest attendance that's ever been around here. And uh, maybe Connie uh, recalled that uh, there's 220 ladies here for a ladies retreat. And uh, I think that she was basically pointing at the guys and saying, Top that, fellas. I think that that might have been what was behind that a little bit. But uh, we talked about how they come together as a church. We talked about octaves. We're kind of like a generations. And, and uh, we talked about people that come to church back when it was at Cedar Rapids. Anybody remember we talked about this? It was two weeks ago. Anybody yes. Okay, we did. Yes, okay, good. And, uh, and there were people that came to Cedar Rapids, and there were people that came before the sanctuary was built. But we didn't find anybody. I'll ask you again. Was there anyone that started coming to church here? Uh, between 1984 and, say, five years ago, 2015. Still not. See, there was a gap there. There was this, this pocket there. We need to um, uh, just be aware of that, that there was a pocket there. And currently, but within the last five years, there were other people. And so there was this idea. And then we said this. Then we said this about the church. We said the church is kind of our individual keys, but we're also kind of like we have individual instruments that we can play. And we're like an orchestra. We're like an orchestra that comes together. And if you've been to the orchestra, it's all over. Until the, uh, the conductor, this is a quiz, until the conductor points at the oboe. Oboe. Oh, wow. You guys, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, maybe you knew that a long time ago. I didn't teach anything. But uh, it points at the oboe. And then the oboe does what sounds? A. A. Sounds A. The oboe sounds A. And then they put the, the perfect A. 440 hertz, and then also the string the instruments, that they begin to blend in and sound the A, and then the, uh, the woodwind, and then the brass wind instruments kind of come, and they sound A, and so the entire thing comes together, and they're all delivering all these different instruments, 100 different instruments coming, sounding a perfect A, so that's the church. What is A? The church is that we are to share the love of Jesus with the community. The church comes together as individuals, but we sing this song of we tell people about the love of Jesus and we share Jesus all around us. Many of you remember we talked about those things. Hey, we're going to continue. So I just kind of want to lay that down there and let's pray together and then we'll get started. All right? Now, Father, again, we come to you. You are God and we have nowhere else to go. You know it all. You, you've seen it all. You've know everything. You know everything. And so, Father, we humbly come to you and ask. We humbly come to you and ask that you would 
feed us. That you would eliminate all the distractions. You would, you would even help us to forget everything that takes place in this service except for what you want us to take home and apply to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, uh, you remember we did the, this little light of mine, and uh, Laura played the one key, and so that's why I don't play the piano, but uh, uh, I have one over here. And, uh, so, here's the deal. I'm going to sing this little line of mine, this little line of mine for you, okay? You ready? Here we go. Unfortunately, the Apostle Paul then defines love. 
He, 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 why is that unfortunately? He defines it this way. Read along with me. This verse. Love is patient and kind. And love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And there is this expectation that I will be a person of love, and I can't live up to that, which means it's a tall order to be loving. It means it's a very difficult task, and it will take a lifetime of trying your best to get better at being loving. But that is the call, church, that we are to be a people that would not be like that noisy symbol, but we would be a church that people would know loves. That we are to love. Verse 8 continues, says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. All of those things, those are gifts, and those are just kind of going to go away. But love will last forever. And our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time is of perfection comes, these partial things will become then, then he gives this illustration. He sort of begins to uh, sort of say, it's an unfolding, an un, uh, it's, it's an unfolding process of becoming a more loving person, more like Jesus, because he says this in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. See, when you start to kind of not really understanding, the older you get, the better you work at it, the more you begin to understand it, the better at loving others we become. And then it says this in verse 14. Now we see things imperfectly. Puzzling, reflection, like a puzzling reflection. You ever, you ever look at just one piece of a puzzle? Very interesting. You know, the whole time you're staring at it, really what you want to know, what colors are in there, because it goes into this other thing somewhere, right? But the one thing doesn't tell you the big thing. But we kind of focus on the one thing. You ever look at uh, maybe a poor reflection on yourself, you walk up to your car window, and you kind of look in your window, and it's kind of got a curve there. And there's a general idea there, but the details are kind of lost, right? And So now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflection in a mirror. But then, when Jesus comes and we are with Jesus, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me. What, what does that mean? That means this. I don't get to know it all. I don't get to understand it all. In my life, I don't get to know it all. I don't get to understand it all. But I am called to sound one note, and that is to love others. That's my job. As a church, we come together to love others. And then he says this in verse 13. He says, be 
these three things last forever. Faith, why faith? Because we put our faith in Jesus. And hope, why does hope? Our, our hope is in Jesus and we will be with Jesus. And love, why does love last forever? Because God is love. Because God is love. We get to go and be, which is we are to be a church that sounds a aid, that lifts up the love of Jesus, even in a time when we don't quite understand everything that's going on. Our church is to be a love distribution center. Our church is to be a love distribution center. And here's what I can tell you. Is that this morning, our country and our towns and villages and our townships, they're broken and they're hurting. That's what we got. People are divided this morning politically. Um, can you believe it? There's people out there that don't love Trump. What? Did you know that? Did you know that? There are, there are people out there that don't like Biden. Did you, did you know that? Have you ever, did, did you realize that? It's true. They're out there. There are really people like that. Did you know that um, there, there are people that are divided about politics? Who would have thought, right? Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, there, are, there are people that don't agree on racial issues, right? I mean, black lives do matter, but all lives matter. But apparently, if you say either one of those things, you have positioned yourself on the other side of whatever the position. And blue lives matter to it. And the world is fractured. I don't know if anybody told you, but there's a pandemic going on. And uh, clearly, every scientist that has ever been interviewed about the pandemic and the use of and non-use of masks and those things, they all are 100% in lockstep, and there is no disagreement about any of the issues with the pandemic. Or are there? The world that we live in is fractured and divided, and there's little camps and little groups, and there are pockets and. And they're out there, and we are called to sound a, sound a, to be a love distribution center for Jesus. Here's what I know is that today, America and people in our church, they're fractured and people are hurting. Not long ago, My wife learned of, uh, there's some people from back where we came from that, uh, friends, and a uh, friend learned that uh, her husband, uh, very sick and only had uh, about three months to live. And uh, two weeks ago, he passed away. Side of it or the other side of it. Meanwhile, 
life and death, life and death keep happening and going forward. America's fraction of people are hurting, but truth is, that's an opportunity for the church. Truth is, that is good news for the church. Someone was very ill and you had the cure. Wouldn't you want to rush it to them? And we do. We are the distribution center of God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. And, and that's good news because the world is fractured and the world is broken. But look at this little phrase up here and put up here because this is the reality. This is the reality, is that the problem, the problem with most of us, the problem with y'all you know, and me, the problem with most of us is that we are like the rest of us. Isn't that true? It, aren't we all, you know, kind of like, we, we all kind of want to find our position of where do we fit in, what is this all about? Everyone else does that too. And when we're sad, we can understand sad. We've been sad, and sometimes we're very happy, and we've just been through sad, and now we're happy, and so then we get to render aid to those who are. And the problem with most of us is that we're like the rest of us. The good news is the church, we are the ones that know that we have a, a king of kings and a lord of lords and a savior that is above and beyond all of these things, and we are called not to be a, a sounding gong and a clashing cymbal, but we are to be a love distribution center. That's who we are, and that's what we get to do, and... That's good news for us as a church. We get to do that. We're all in the same boat. We're in this bed together, and we all want hope, right? We all want hope, and we all want better. Are you with me? Do we want better? We want better. We want hope, and we want better. That's who we are. That's what we want. We want hope, and we want better. We really want those things. Pain and suffering are all around us, and so that's why I want to jump into this next part. If you have your bulletin, you want to fill in these things uh, that's why we as a church want someday three reasons to evangelize. Three, write that down. Three reasons to evangelize. We want to be a love distribution center. That's evangelism. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread, right? And so three reasons to evangelize. Number one, it's an act of love. It's an act of love. The word gospel literally means good news. We get to tell people about the good news of Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 10. Guy comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, Hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all the scripture? And Jesus says, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, you know, the others like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy says, Well, okay, love my neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And then you know what Jesus does? He tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, right? He says there was a guy that was going down the road and some robbers come along and they beat him up. And, uh, you know, they punch him in the gut and they punch him in the face and they. Um, and uh, this, you know, they, maybe they maybe they gave him some kind of a disease. We don't know. He's, he's beat up and he's hurting and he's in the ditch. And the way that Jesus refers to that in the book of Luke chapter 10, he says, and they put him in his, <coughs> excuse me, and he was half dead. Jesus calls him, and it left him half dead. How do you get half dead? I don't know, I don't know how you get half dead, but maybe, maybe this is how you get half dead. Maybe the guy that was in the ditch, maybe he was physically alive but spiritually 
dead. Maybe the, the robbers came along and left the guy in the ditch that was physically alive and spiritually dead. And then, then another guy comes along and he kind of looks over and he sees the guy, but you know this isn't his deal, and so uh, he doesn't you know particularly want to get too involved in that. But uh, he knows that it is a deal. And, but he doesn't want to be really involved with it, so he just kind of gets on social media and starts to post some memes and, and kind of put some things out there so that he can express his opinion about the thing but really not get involved with the thing, and, but he just kind of keeps going. And then there's another guy that kind of comes along, and, and then he looks over at the guy that's half dead in the ditch, and he's physically alive, spiritually dead, and kind of looks at him, and maybe, maybe that one, he kind of looks around and he goes, well, uh, I'm going to make sure that I vote the right way because it's the politician's job to kind of figure that, that out, right? Or maybe they, maybe they, they call the media. They say, well, if the media does the right story and they take the right angle on this thing, maybe that's going to help the guy out. But clearly the, situa the situation that's over here, it's not my thing to get involved with. I mean, the, the physically alive person that's spiritually dead, not my deal to get involved with. But then Jesus says there's a third person that comes along and sees half dead person in the, over there in the weeds. And that person reaches in their own pocket and he says, I'm going to use my resources, I'm going to use what God has given to me and my abilities and, my, and the knowledge that I have, and I, and I know I don't know it all, so I'm going to scoop this person up and I'm going to take them even to a place where they can get better and more help and information, and, and, but I'm going to do whatever I can to help this person get from being in that lost place to being in this found place, and that's what they set out to do. And then, and then Jesus says this, and you know the story, Luke chapter 10, verses 30. That's the stories in there. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go. And Jesus told him, go. And Jesus didn't say sit, he said go. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What is more loving than salvation and sharing salvation? It's the right thing to do. See, it's also an act of love to share Jesus with others. It's not the media's job or the politician's job or the scientist's job. It's the church's job to share that love. It is an act of love. It's also, write this down, the right thing to do. The right thing to do. Do you remember back in January? Any of you guys still remember January? Uh, January, at the beginning of the year, you remember we were watching the news and what we were watching on the news in January? We were watching that uh, the global map, and there was this little pin in the global map, and it was over in China, and there was this newfounded thing called the coronavirus that was starting to spread throughout China. And then we kept watching the news, and we learned that that coronavirus made its way over into uh, Europe, and that Italy was being heavily struck by this thing called, and it's coming. And then the warning started to come. And then you remember in March, all of a sudden, uh, we learned schools are shutting down, college campus is closing up, because it is coming, it is coming, it is coming, the virus is coming our way, warning after warning after warning. You remember how that worked out, right? And, um, my youngest daughter, her name is Kristen, she has a boyfriend named Jordan, and Jordan goes to college at UNI, and, um, and uh, he was, he's double majoring, and one of the majors he's taking is this kind of videography, and, 
and uh, some of you guys know what YouTubers are, and some of you know that YouTubers can make a lot of money being a YouTuber, and that a lot of, most industries today hire somebody that's very uh, technically savvy and does video production because they do a lot of training with video production things. So he's kind of uh, getting that nature as well. And so he's very tapped into, uh, there's a group of people that he, uh, he knows that are making a documentary on the year 2020. What a great year to pick to make a documentary, right? Uh, we're going to all sit back and watch that thing and shake our heads through the whole thing. But, um, and so they're making this documentary on the year 2020. And so uh, these people that are making the documentary, they are tapped in, they're dialed in, they're connected to all the social media networks, and they know when things are going down so that they can be there to literally record it in action. And two days before it happened, I talked to Jordan, and Jordan said, Steve, in two days, there is going to be rioting in Bettendorf at the mall in Bettendorf. He said that. Guess what happened two days later? It was going on. It was going on. And he told me. And uh, it's like, wow, there's people out there and they know. You know, and maybe you remember watching the news then. They would say, well, now if you're in a small town, beware because they're coming at your way. Maybe I got this thing. Maybe, maybe you all got one. Did it get raised in the mail? The uh, emergency planning information for the X, is it Exxon nuclear, Exxon nuclear? Important safety information for your community. Apparently, if you live within 10 miles of a nuclear power plant, they want you to have a plan in place there is a nuclear <coughs> fallout that comes your way. Isn't that nice of them? Aren't you glad? Don't you feel better? You got a car mail from them. And you don't have to worry about it again because you got a postcard. And here's the thing. Fact. I'm just going to read this. You should agree because it's facts. If someone knew that the pandemic or looters or nuclear fallout were going to come and they said nothing or told no one, we would say they have done the wrong thing. We would also say it's the right thing to do, to sound the alarm or to give a warning or to move people from an unsafe place to a safe place. Clearly telling others of something that is going to happen is the right thing to do. Fact. Jesus is coming. Jesus is returning to this place. Jesus is coming and we are all going to meet him. Clearly it is the right thing to do to tell others that Jesus is coming. And then we have to wrestle with that because we have some tough questions that we have to ask ourselves because sometimes we can sit here and go, well, are there groups that we really don't want to tell? I mean, is that kind of the strategy? <clears throat> Let's just say there will be, you know, after we're here now and uh, we're seniors, but uh, after, you know, no more senior citizens allowed at the church, we're going to stop telling them so that they don't know. That's the plan. Um, no, uh, families with kids. Okay, no. Uh, let's just not tell them uh, we just decided nothing. High school kids. We're not going to tell them anymore. They really don't need to know. I mean, they made a lot of messes. They're under a lot of false assumptions. They'll grow out of it eventually. They're, so are we 
Is it the right thing to do to make up your mind you're going to not tell somebody or to leave? No, it's the wrong thing to do. We are to tell other people about Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter 28 is what Jesus says. You know this. You can quote it like I can. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Jesus says, we are to go. We're not to stay, we're to go. And we're to tell people we're to be that church that sounds A and lifts up the name of Jesus. And we do have an audience. Here's a picture. I put this picture up a couple of weeks ago. And that's kind of who we are, right? I mean, that's the area that we're in. And we're supposed to go tell those people. That's what we are to do. And in conclusion, we're to do this. Tell people we're evangelized by. It gives hope. It gives hope. Did you, did you hear of the story when uh, all of the disciples were together and they found themselves in this horrible place? All the disciples were together found themselves in a horrible place. There was a pandemic. Um, it was, it, everybody was uh, disturbed. And uh, everyone that was around them, uh, was it was a crisis situation. And, and they were there. And uh, they felt like it was a crisis situation. And they were, they were very aware of the whole thing. And, and then Mark tells us the story of uh, when they were there doing uh, that thing. And says this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following says, That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said that to the disciples, uh, Let us go over to the other side, the other side of the way. Uh, leaving the crowd behind, uh, they took him along. And they were all then in the same boat. Verse 37. A furious swell came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Is our culture asking that same question? Where's God? Do we care if we drown? Do we look around and ask that question? Does God care if I drown? was Jesus' answer. He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? In the storm, you shouldn't have been afraid. You should have been afraid in the storm. Why were you afraid in the storm? You should have been afraid in the storm. It's all good. I'm still here. It's all. And so why were you afraid? He says, Do you still have a faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the wind and the waves still obey him. We're to have faith in the storm. And we're to share Jesus with others. We're all in the same boat. And Jesus still calms storm. So, in conclusion, three, three easy ways uh, three easy ways to act in love and to do the right thing and to offer hope. Another one is this. We're having a blood drive at our church. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the blood banks and that community of uh, uh, hospital people, uh, they are actively seeking blood and so we get to be a love distribution center. 
we get to say we recognize that there is a need and we are preparing a place for you to come and help and we want to know you and we want you to know us and it's in this place and so grab some of those flyers that are available in there around and uh, hand them to your neighbor and say uh, would you be willing to you know sign up and come and be a part of the church put together a blood drive because that is a need that our medical community has it's something that you can do. It's not political. It's not media-driven. It's just simply an act of love that we get to participate in. And we just want to say, we want to be a people that helps other people help other people. That's who we want to be because that's what love does. And then another way that you can do that is uh, we want to do this family-friendly service and, and uh, uh, kind of have something available. Maybe you can invite people to something like that where we just simply say, you know, a lot of churches don't have any children's programming right now, but we can put together a service. Maybe, maybe a conversation, a whole different conversation. And then don't, don't fire me. We're just talking here, okay? Uh, you know, I wonder if maybe a Saturday night service would be a thing that we would, maybe families would do something like that that they wouldn't do on Sunday morning or something. But... Is there a way that we can engage people and have them come and be a part of the church that maybe we haven't thought about yet? So we can share uh, those ideas and invite people to be a part of that. And then do this, share your hope. Share the hope that you have that comes from Jesus. Share the hope that you have that comes from, uh, from Jesus. Here's, um, I, you know this. Uh, last Sunday morning, uh, I did what I do. I got up on Sunday morning and I grabbed a little tablet and I'm going through and uh, I kind of preach my sermon and, and stuff, kind of go through it at, at home. And I kind of got this routine I go through where I get ready to, you know, before I head off to church. And, um, uh, and while I was doing that, uh, phone rings, I look down and uh, it was a cell phone I recognized. It says dad. Uh, but I knew it was my mom. And I figured why she was called. Dad died. And, uh, it, you know, I, it was coming. Uh, my plan was to come here last week and preach and then leave here and go see my dad. I figured when I saw him, that would be maybe last, I figured that would be last time. I didn't get that last time, so the last time that I did get to see him was on Father's Day. That was good. But it was very emotional. I lost my dad. And uh, choked up, cried, and then my mom, my sister, my kids went over. I couldn't even hardly think about my dad. And then Tuesday came. And it was on Tuesday that I realized a year ago, November, I started regularly praying. over him. As long as he's not a burden to my mom, that his mind is failing and his health is failing. Could you just have it so that if he's here, he's not a burden? I'll preach.
few weeks ago, he went, saw the doctor, and a lot of things wrong, and then he just kind of laid in bed for the last two weeks, and kind of moaned and groaned. And so God, I've come to a place where it's just really hard for my mom to leave. Will you call him home? Tuesday that I just kind of had this experience and just kind of washed over me. It's like, Steve, you got exactly what you're praying for. That's a blessing. That's, but my hope was always that I, I always knew God's got this thing. You know, if I love my dad. I'll always love my dad. I'll miss my dad. The things that I'm going to think of that I'm going to want to ask him, I'm not going to be able to ask. And I know all of those things are true, but I experienced a peace that just surpassed my understanding when I just put it all together. God's got this thing. My hope is not in this earth or us in this room and these people in this place. My hope is beyond all of this thing. My, my hope is not that I survive the pandemic or that the election goes the right way or that the media will finally do a story on this or that or the other thing or the scientists will finally come up with. My hope is in none of that. My hope is beyond this place and that I am called to sound aid and in the, in the most dynamic way that I can to share the love of God through Jesus Christ his son because I am forgiven and this is not my home and that is the call of the church that we are to tell other people. Thank you.